Father, thank you for your many mercies. Father, you are holy. You are righteous. You are perfect. You are powerful. You're loving. You're good. You're wise. You're giving. You're creative. <sighs> All these things are in your word. And your spirit reveals them to me and reveals them to us and reveals them to every other person who calls on your name. Thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing these things to me. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us truth to live by. I pray that my heart, I pray that um, our hearts would be soft before you this morning and every morning, really. But this morning, let us hear your word and let us um, be open to your truth. Amen. Amen. So we are entering 2024. Today's message is going to pick back up with our biblical review. We've started the New Testament. We've completed the four Gospels. And now, and after every major division, pardon me again, after every major division of, of the Scripture, we pause and we include something called an essential element. An essential element. Today's essential element is about doctrine. An essential element is, it's a fact about the Bible. It's not scripture, it's a fact about the Bible because we're edifying our hearts, we're teaching ourselves to obey, we're also educating our brains, and we want to understand some facts about the Bible. We include these teachings to reinforce the fact that scripture is reliable. It's been tested for two centuries and longer, sorry, two millennia and longer, and it's reliable, we can put our face in it. And hopefully, these, these, these tidbits, these nuggets, these milestones as we go through Scripture, they help us frame our understanding of the Bible and make a sturdier platform for us to stand on. And as always, we have to test these concepts. These are not Scripture. They have to be tested against Scripture. And I'm always welcome, and w welcome your feedback on these things that we, that we share that are not actual Scripture. Last time we covered an essential element, we had six categories. We talked about clarity of Scripture and the fact that the Bible is simple enough for us to understand God's good news of salvation. And David and I added another category since that time, and that's this, this, this category of doctrine. And the concept, the short phrase for the essential element of doctrine is that doctrine is necessary but not sufficient necessary but not sufficient it's like a car without gasoline a car is necessary to get your, get yourself to work usually but it's not sufficient if you don't have any gasoline in the tank so there's some things you have to have but they're not sufficient all by itself Doct doctrine falls into that category it is necessary for us to have a good framework for understanding scripture a good framework for approaching god but it is in itself, it's not sufficient if you rely on it by itself. So here's a formal definition from Grudem's systematic theology. Doctrine is what the whole Bible teaches us today about some particular topic. Okay, thanks Wayne. That's helpful, but pretty generic. Let's keep moving here. I won't spend a lot of time on that one. Just want to toss that out there. I'm going to break today's topic into four main categories. One, the foundation of doctrine is scripture. Two, doctrine is necessary. Our approach to doctrine must be balanced, and we have to leave room for wonder at the end of the day. 
And we'll cover all four of these items in brief this morning. So let's start with the words of Jesus. You can read along with me or feel free to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17, verse 17. Jesus speaking. Sanctify them in the truth. He's praying to the Father. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. So Jesus sets the foundation. He says, truth is your word, God. And that's what, that's what Jesus said. That's where we start as well. His word is truth. A lot going on here in this verse. The point that I want to make is he's emphasizing the centrality of Scripture. He's saying, God, your word is truth. Scripture is truth. Scripture is the foundation, not only, it's, and coming, flowing from that, it's the, it's the foundation, it's the source of our sanctification, which means how we made righteous with God. And if you notice there, he talks about being sent by God and him sending us as well. It's also the source of our mission. So it's the source of truth, it's the source of our sanctification and forgiveness, and it's the source of our mission in life. Jesus, in one brief passage, lays out an entire framework for our life. So that doctrine is, is um, based on Scripture. So doctrine is necessary. Doctrine is necessary. Correct understanding is necessary. Lord knows we all have opinions. Lord knows throughout 2,000 years of church history, there's been a zillion different opinions. And you can't just flip open the Bible and read a passage and say, God told me to buy a new, uh, whatever, Lamborghini because this passage says, or whatever, I have to fast. Not go fast, but fast. You can come up with lots of things you want to from Scripture. It's important that we have a correct understanding. It is possible to have an incorrect doctrine and incorrect usage of Scripture. Thankfully, correct doctrine and the correct use of Scripture is, po- is possible. Let's read a couple of passages here. First, a negative example here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul writing... He says, as a result, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there, by carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of people, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ. Don't be carried about by every wind of doctrine. It is possible to be deceived and use doctrine incorrectly, therefore, we need to be careful. Thankfully, those of us who seek God and desire to know Him, desire to understand Him, we can be assured that it's possible to find good teaching. It is possible. It's not a hopeless cause of like, well, I guess we'll never know. I guess we'll never know. You just have to trust one person's opinion over the other, over another one. You're just kind of rolling the dice. It is possible to know what good teaching is. Here's an example of how God meets someone who's genuinely seeking here. So Acts chapter 8, verses 30. There's an example in the early church. There's an Ethiopian eunuch. He's returning home. He's on a chariot. He's reading a passage of Scripture. He doesn't understand. He is motivated. Lord, I want to know what's going on, but I don't understand it. And the Spirit carries Philip to this eunuch, 
and he's running alongside the chariot. He, Philip ran up and said, can you just, I mean, kind of picture this? It's like, like someone's kind of riding their bicycle down the path at Centennial Park or some local park. And you can see they're deep in thought. And you just get up off your picnic bench or your, your, your table and you just run as fast as you can. And you're like, in the t- at the, as much as you can, you're trying to say, hey, hello, hey, hey, can we have a conversation while this person's pedaling and kind of looking at you like you're kind of a crazy person? God brought Philip to the eunuch in, in, this, in, in exactly that sort of circumstance. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch said, well, how could I? How could I? Unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him, which works better in a chariot than on a bicycle. But the point stands. What characterized this unit? What characterized this unit? This unit was sincerely seeking after God. He wanted, he wanted to know what God had to say to him. A sincere, seeking heart that focuses on his word and asks God for help is going to be rewarded. A sincere, seeking heart that focuses on his word is going to be rewarded by God. God rewarded the eunuch's faith by sending Philip to talk to him and explain the truth about Scripture. So, correct understanding, God will reward our desire to have correct understanding. The Holy Spirit is needed in order for us to have this understanding. Passage 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul writing, The person without the Spirit, Holy Spirit, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Those who are not seeking God, those who do not have God, they don't understand God's truth. It's the Spirit that reveals God's truth to us. That's a key part of this. So sincere seeking heart and the Holy Spirit help us to have a true understanding of what God is saying to us. Third component on how doctrine is necessary in order to have good doctrine, it does take some work and effort on our part. We have sincere seeking hearts. We are allowing the Spirit to speak to us. Then it takes some work. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, Paul writing to Timothy, remind them of these things, Timothy, and solemnly exhort them in the presence of God not to be dispute about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the listeners. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Accurately handling the word of truth. Accurately handling the word of truth. Be diligent to present yourself approved. It takes time. It takes devotion. It doesn't take forever. Sincere heart, open to the spirit, willing to put the time and energy in to, to have, a, have a good understanding of things. Talking to people, other godly men and women who have good understanding of what God is saying. Comparing notes. Listening to what those who've gone before us have said, these are good ways for you to have solid doctrine. The other thing that this allows for is you take time to do this. By the way, it's a never-ending process. It's a never-ending process. By the time you finish with high school or college, you think, I'm done with this stuff. You're not done with this stuff. You're going to grow and you're going to learn in other ways, spiritually, not the least. I can think of several significant things over the course of my life doctrines, things that I believe with passionate intensity, that after I talked to other godly men and women and read good, solid, read scripture and read good, solid books about scripture, my views have changed slightly over the years. We'll go into that right now. But you, you need to allow yourself to grow. 
you need to get input from godly sources as you evaluate what correct doctrine is. So third on the list, so foundation is scripture, correct doctrine is necessary. Third item on the list is we need to balance doctrine. Once we found or we think we found what truth is, we need to balance our understanding. We need to balance doctrine with grace. We need to balance doctrine with grace. Part of having an appropriate balance is understanding that there are tiers of doctrine. There's tiers of doctrine. For example, at a foundational level, which is actually at the top on this, on this diagram here, there is a foundational idea that God exists. And then we have foundational ideas that we have Scripture as the revelation of God. And we have salvation, that God wants to restore a relationship with us. And we have other things that flow out of that, what his church looks like, what our individual gifts look like, what our calling in life looks like. These things, as you go down, they have scriptural foundations. The further you go down the list, they have spiritual foundations. There are right and wrong answers, but there's more than one right or wrong answer the further down the list you go. The further up the list you go, there's fewer right and wrong answers. And that's the byproduct of us trusting Scripture, having grace towards one another. The things at the top of the list are non-negotiable. So, the idea here is that some concepts are more important than others. Some concepts are built on other concepts and ideas. And some concepts are not as clear as others, for example, when is Jesus going to come back? People have fought and argued and killed each other over that for 2,000 years. It's true that Jesus is going to come back. There's a zillion opinions about when that's actually going to happen. So let's be practical here for a minute. For Oak Ridge Community Church, you can easily tell what's important to us as a church family. And you can check out our statement of faith, which is found on the website. This is a snapshot of the desktop image of the, of the website. You can go to About, you can check out Statement of Faith, you can get a PDF. These are the core beliefs of Oak Ridge Community Church. These are things, as we've talked about in recent months, that you need to affirm. If you're, you, can, you can come and fellowship with us as much as you want. You're welcome, anyone's welcome to come in here and be part of this fellowship and sing with us and enjoy the company and eat the potlucks. But if you want to be a member if you want to be part of the family, then you need to read that statement of faith and you need to affirm it and say, yes, I believe this. This reflects what my understanding is based on Scripture about who God is, who Jesus is, my relationship to God through Jesus and what my role in this world is. That's our statement of faith. And I would encourage you, especially if you haven't read it before or if you've read it before, don't read it casually. Read it thoroughly. Read it prayerfully. Check it against Scripture, of course. If you have questions, let's talk about it. We'd love to talk about stuff like that. But that's a practical point for Oak Ridge. Those are things that we consider top-tier doctrines. And we also recognize as a church that some things are not as important as others inside of doctrine. So here's an excerpt. I'm going to read this excerpt from our Convictions and Ministry Model Statement. So in addition to are republishing the statement of faith, which was unchanged, has been unchanged for many years. And it, we, we developed this conviction and ministry statement to talk specifically about how we treat 
other brothers and sisters who have slightly different beliefs than us on points of doctrine. So we're going to read, I'm going to read this. Follow along with me. In addition, there are some secondary doctrines, secondary doctrines, which we do not offer a definitive interpretation, such as God's sovereignty, man's ability to choose a relationship with God, eschatology, which means the end of days and when Jesus is going to come back, the use of charismatic gifts, like speaking in tongues and, and having special visions or words or experiences with God. As fellow believers in Jesus Christ, we commit to being gracious towards those who differ in some or all of these convictions. The convictions referring back to the secondary doctrines. We commit to being gracious towards those who differ. However, we will exhort all members to communicate in a gracious, unifying, and biblical manner. So it, you are, there is a, there is, it's good to have, hold firm. It's good to have graciousness. It's good to be respectful towards one another. And we are required as brothers and sisters to treat each other with respect and be gracious as we communicate in a helpful and unifying manner. So, I'd like to say it goes without saying. I'd like to say it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway because Christian history proves it must be said. Saints, be gracious towards those who disagree with you on points of doctrine. Be gracious towards those who disagree with you on points of doctrine. Be open to learning something new. If you figured it all out and, you, and, you're, and you're already loaded for bear when someone comes in with you and wants to have a conversation, it's going to be a short and unpleasant conversation, which, by the way, is what most social media conversations are like, if you, if you recognize that. Usually not a great place to have a detailed conversation about stuff unless you know the people really well. Be open to learning something new. Trust his word. Trust the Holy Spirit that's going to give you discernment to understand. And then allow the Holy Spirit to do his work on you or on the other person. Say you're fairly confident based on lots of things that you have a good understanding of a certain topic. But someone that you know or is close to you doesn't have the same understanding. Whose job is it to change their mind? The Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to do the work of changing someone's heart and mind. The Holy Spirit, through the Word, and a willing heart is going to change their mind. My anger is not going to change anybody's mind. My anger, if someone disagrees with me, and might, in fact, it might even be evidence there's something not quite right in my heart, if my response is anger and not curiosity or compassion or patience. Back to 2 Timothy, Paul writing again, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, skilled in teaching, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. This is like an older apostle, pastor, giving advice to a younger man. Here's how you untangle a thorny knot. Not quarrelsome, kind, skillful, patient, gentle. I'm convicted just reading those words off as I think about the different ways I've approached disagreements in the past. And maybe you're convicted too. Maybe you know you've had a conversation in the past that's not gone very well. Maybe you owe an apology to somebody. Maybe you have a conversation that's queued up in the future 
This is primarily, obviously, in the context of scriptural truth and what we believe about God, but uh, this applies to other areas of our life, too. You're going to go in there and you're going to hammer someone into compliance? You're going to be patient. You're going to be skillful. You're going to be gracious. You're going to be gentle with them. God grants repentance. God grants repentance. Not you and not me. Here's another exhortation from Paul to Timothy, different book of Timothy, to skill and gentleness. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 5. An overseer then, an overseer, pastor, elder, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, skillful in teaching, not overindulging in wine, not a bully, but gentle, not contentious, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. I included the whole passage. There's a world of information. There's a world of teaching in that one passage. This is, by the way, hopefully you're already aware, this passage is one of the key passages that Oak Ridge uses as qualifications for spiritual leadership, especially for the office of overseer, pastor, elder, which is what David and I are. You are allowed to hold me accountable to this passage, by the way. I just want to say it. And I will volunteer David for that same thing, too, which he willingly assents. Hold us accountable. Compare our lives to this. If you see something where we're falling short, graciously, patiently, skillfully, gently, draw our attention to it, and by God's grace, we will respond. On the other hand, if you have any aspiration for spiritual leadership, which is a good thing, it's a good thing to aspire to leadership. It's a good thing to have an aspiration to lead God's people, to share his word, to use your gifts. Good, 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 good thing. Here's your guideline. Here's your blueprint. Here's your qualifications. Do you aspire to pastoral work? Do you aspire to ministry work? Pay close attention to these things. Skillful teaching. Gentle. I want to try to illustrate this need to be careful in another way. And I'm going to expand the analogy we used with the kiddos earlier before. So earlier, we asked the kids, so is my heart filled with God? Yes. God's goodness gone? No. So we filled a cup with God's goodness. And this cup is our understanding of God. Some have big cups, some have little cups. This cup is full. This picture is God's inexhaustible supply. Theater of the mind, it's inexhaustible. Do not send me emails saying it's not an accurate picture of God, please. When our cup is filled, my point here is, when our cup is filled, we may be tempted to think we have all the knowledge that there is about God. That cup is filled. I can't hold anything else in my mind. Anything else in my brain. Not that I want anything else in my mind or my brain. It's filled. I got it all. But, as an example, oh, here's another Jesus follower. Someone that loves the Lord, seeks Him earnestly. Is there room in this person's heart for God's goodness? This person's heart can be filled with God's goodness too. 
they're full. Is God, is his goodness completely expunged or is the full knowledge of God's goodness? No. Is this person filled up? To look a little different from this person, they're filled with the same thing, his word, his spirit, his presence. Oh, and then here's the third, sister. Here's a sister. She's got an open heart, open mind. I want to know you, Lord. Her cup's filled too. God's goodness is limitless. Her understanding is a little different than this person's understanding. A little different than my understanding. The point being, it's his word. It's his spirit. Our understandings, our understandings are differently shaped cups. They're shaped by culture. They're shaped by the era that we live in. They're shaped by my own personality, your own personality. Doctrine might look a little bit different in different cups, but they're all full. They're all full. Obviously, there's limits to analogies, but I rejoice. I rejoice. Here's the amazing thing. We talk about the differences that the church has faced for 2,000 years. It's astounding that the Holy Spirit has kept the unity of the faith, the bond of the Spirit, the integrity of Scripture intact for 2,000 years. I can't remember what I ate 2,000 seconds ago. The Holy Spirit has maintained the truth for two millennia. It's His goodness. And you can substitute anything else you want. Our understanding of holiness, our understanding of His goodness, our understanding of His righteousness, our understanding of His justice, they're all inexhaustible. And my heart, each of our hearts can be filled in different ways. This illustration kind of brings me to the whole wondrous point of scriptural understanding. Psalm 23, 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. King David wrote, my cup overflows. The point is, seek to have your cup overflow. Overflow with God's goodness, with his knowledge, with his holiness, with his righteousness. And the point is the overflow is not to check boxes or to decide that you're right and somebody else is wrong. The point is this shepherding psalm that David wrote, it's about intimacy. It's about intimacy with God, not about knowledge of God. That is the ultimate point of our understanding and having a good, solid understanding of Scripture. So allow me to elaborate and wrap up at the same time. My final point, which, come, which proceeds from this, leave room for wonder when you're reading Scripture. Some things don't fit into a box. Some things don't go on a table. Some things can't be organized. Some things can't be even comprehended. And what do I mean by that? Some Scripture transcends doctrine. Some Scripture, at least my doctrine, some Scripture transcends tradition. 
some scripture transcends my brain and my physical senses' ability to process it. And here's some amazing examples that we've covered already. We've covered many of these already in our, in our journey through the Old and New Testament. Jacob's ladder, this amazing vision, dream, or whatever it is of him at a low point of his life, and, and there's this vision of angels, a ladder to heaven, and angels going up and down. What does it mean? He didn't know. What doctrine is that? The ladder doctrine from heaven? I don't know what that is. Job, what did he do when he ran out, when he sensed God's power and he ran out of understanding? He said, done, I'm done. One of the wisest things ever written in Scripture. Moses, a burning bush, so weird, so alien. God's been doing all these weird things with him and the Egyptians, and he caps it off with this bush that's burning and not being talking and not being consumed. Totally weird, totally alien. What's the doctrine for a burning bush that's not consumed? I don't know. Isaiah, his total sense of inadequacy before, and he gets a vision of God's throne room. Ezekiel, sensory overload, wheels and eyes and angels and wings and just more weird stuff. Sensory overload. How he even captured that stuff to put it on paper is just amazing. And then there's, there's gentle things. There's the submission of Mary to the impossible. How is it possible, Gabriel, that I can be with child? Let it be to me as the Lord says. Submission to the impossible. And of course, Revelation, which we haven't covered yet. Visions of eternity. A book that is mind-blowing for what, how it was captured and what visions it gives us of eternity. So my encouragement to you, these things, for me, they don't fit into a box. They're not easy to clarify. But I want to be like Job. I want to put my hand over my mouth when I'm at my limits out of fear of God. I want you to be like Isaiah, overwhelmed by his presence when you get a vision of his holiness. I want you to be like Mary, who submits herself to impossible things because God said that they're going to come to pass. What are these doctrines? I don't know. I'm fine with not knowing. Are you? So, some things can't be categorized. Some things defy our comprehension. It doesn't mean we can't respond appropriately. These men and women, they had responses. Their response was awe and worship. Their cup was overflowed. They allowed their cup to be overflowed. I'm exhorting you. Allow your cup to be overflowed. Let's pray. Father, I submit myself to you. Oh, thank you so much for the examples of um, Job and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Mary. Fill my cup. Fill our cups, God. Not just in a, a theoretical way, but fill our cups. Do something impossible in our lives, in our church, in this world, in your kingdom this year. In Jesus' name, amen.